Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Hello and welcome to another edition of Spill the Tea. I'm Bob McClure, President and CEO of the James Madison Institute. And we have us with us here today is Bill Maddox from the Marshall Center for Educational Options. Bill is sitting in for Sal, who's out. Uh, Welcome, Bill. Glad you're here. Hey, thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, A lot going on in in, uh, current events all over the world. We have sports, we have... uh, international policy, and of course we have what's happening here in the great state of Florida. We'll start with uh, a session update. Uh, Bill, can you, you know, really the what we've seen legislatively this year uh, in Florida has really, and we were talking about this uh, previously, there are no big hairy ideas. We're not in, living in the world of Jeb Bush with the BHAGs, which uh, stood for big, hairy, audacious goals. Um we're not seeing that this year with the legislative session. A little more small ball than we've seen uh, in the past. But in the area of education, choice, accountability, parental rights, we're seeing uh, some big swings. So talk a little bit about what you're seeing as it relates to uh, things in the area of school choice. Yeah, so I think you're right. The session generally has been a little bit underwhelming. and But there are some important issues being talked about. And some indeed in the world of education. Most of the attention in the world of education has been focused on bills related to curriculum and kind of curriculum transparency and ideas that uh, we don't want to see taught in the classroom. Um, things surrounding CRT and, and, and other uh, topics. And, and so I think it's very likely that we're going to see legislation that passes on both uh, CRT and the kind of the, the governor, the governor's uh, anti-woke bill, as he calls it, uh, as well as on a parental bill of rights that um, set some parameters for what's taught in the early grades. Talk um, about a little bit about that as it relates to CRT. So what you're saying is his anti-woke bill and, uh, you know, they the, the left is trying to uh, present this narrative is you can't say the word gay in right. public in, in schools and that's not that's not right that's the wrong narrative talk a little bit about what exactly the governor and the legislature is trying to do there yeah the, what the governor is simply trying to do is to have the content in the classroom reflect the teachings of Martin Luther King and and the 1964 Civil Rights Act and to say we don't want discrimination on the basis of race we don't want kids being made to feel guilty. If uh, about historical sins in our country, if they happen to be of the wrong color or things of that nature, um, I think most of that, properly understood, appears very reasonable to um, Floridians uh, throughout the state. Uh, and I think likewise on the parental B- bill of rights, the legislature is simply trying to say, look, during the early grades, uh, K through three, we don't want discussions about sexuality and right. gender uh, identity and things of that nature. Um, and I think most parents are relieved to hear that some issues that are just not age appropriate won't be introduced in the classroom. Um, this, of course, has some people upset, and they've been, I think, very effective in kind of mischaracterizing the bill. But those have been the main sources of uh, focus in the legislature. I think there will be action on both of these fronts. And I think for people who are concerned about what other people's kids and their own kids are being taught— um, this is going to be satisfying. 
the the reason why it's so important for us to continually beat the drum for school choice and to give priority to that is because the more that parents have the opportunity to choose what education they get, the more a lot of these controversial hot button issues fade in the background. So true. Um, And that, so that's why we really want to give emphasis to those things because when parents have that choice, they usually choose things that I think you and I would say are good choices. They won't always do that, but at least we will have opportunities for people to give their kids the education they want to give their kids. And that to me is where um, kids are best served and where our kind of cultural discussion is best served. Right. And, and all of these issues that we're seeing at the parental level uh, would really uh, disperse if we had school choice where the money follows the child. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the single best. And what's fascinating is that kind of separate and apart from the conversation taking place within our legislature, there's a really interesting conversation taking place among school choice advocates around the country about this very topic. And um, a lot of people have noticed just how animated many parents have become in other states about some of these hot-button cultural issues, and they are concerned about curriculum. And what many school choice advocates are saying is, we need to harness a lot of this anger about teaching about CRT or other things uh, in the classroom. We ought to harness it into you know directing people towards school choice because if you simply want to try to find new school board members that will fix these problems in the public schools, I think in the long run, that's if everybody is still involved in the system, in the public system, you know, it becomes a, a winner-take-all sort of game. Right. If you have a school choice system, everybody gets a chance to give their kids what they most want. That, I think, is a better way to solve some of these hot-button cultural issues. Right, right. No, I mean, if you don't have to choose the mechanic that's in your zip code, the grocery store that's in your zip code, or uh, the Walmart, shop only at the Walmart that's in your zip code, why are you assigned to the school in your zip code? It's crazy. Yes, totally agree. And Florida really is the national leader on school choice. We have more students participating in some form of school choice. We have more school choice programs available to families. And we have almost 50%. It's a stunning number when you hear people from other states talk about, uh, hear this. Almost 50% of K-12 through students in the state of Florida participate in some form of school choice. It's amazing. It is, and and we ought to be proud of that. We ought to keep that in mind when we come to a session like this that's a little bit underwhelming on the school choice front, just to be reminded of how good many of these legislators have been in advancing school choice in the past. And by the way, they're doing some other good things beyond the bills that we've just discussed. There's a measure that I think is likely to pass both uh, houses that would put term limits on school boards, mm-hmm. school board members, which I think is a great idea. There's a measure that has been around for a long time, but I think is finally going to make it over the finish line this year related to financial literacy, where it would become a required half-credit course, one-semester course, for high school graduation so that students can learn about money management and kind of wise use of of resources um, and get some very practical skills, which unfortunately are increasingly needed in an age where we're seeing rapid inflation and um, other sorts of things that pinch consumers' uh, wallets. So th- those are some things that I think are interesting and notable about this legislative session. 
apart from the things that we've already discussed. Right. Geopolitical events, we'll turn there for just a minute. We're looking at the highest inflation numbers that we've seen since the Carter area or Carter uh, times. Uh, it's a stunning number. I think it was over 7% inflation. Uh, the markets are jittery. They're very concerned not only about inflation and about uh, numbers coming in, corporate earnings and those kinds of things, but what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine. Um, you know, Russia historically has seen Ukraine as a part of the long-time, long-standing, quote, Russian empire, end quote. This is a historical um, debate for Russia as, as to how they see it. It's not historical in nature uh, from America's point of view. And I think there's a lot of conflict about what to do uh, in America. Certainly, um, as I read the tea leaves, most Americans don't want to commit uh, soldiers to this conflict, uh, but they don't really want to see uh, this, this move by Russia into what is really kind of a sovereign state, though a corrupt sovereign state, and not, not necessarily you know a bulwark of democracy. Uh, but that's kind of what we're seeing. And I think uh, the markets are on edge and geopolitics uh, kind of across the, the country or across the world are on edge. And I'll add this. One of the ramifications that it, w- it could have is the ramifications on NATO. Ukraine has been trying to enter NATO. Russia has seen that as, um, and Ukraine has tried to enter, uh, you know, the the world stage economically and militarily. Uh, Russia sees that as a direct threat. Another reason why they um, uh, have, as we speak today, invaded two provinces of Ukraine. Um, and so I think, you know, internationally, there's a there's an uncertainty that makes people a lot of focus to the NATO point. You've got some NATO nations that are essentially saying behind closed doors they don't really care. They don't. This is not an issue to them. Germany is uh, dependent. Thirty two percent of Germany's natural gas and oil comes from Russia, so they're somewhat compromised there. Um, so this is really kind of a complicated story. What the White House should do, what Congress should do. That's the subject for a longer longer debate on a different podcast. Do you have any thoughts on that? So I don't know certainly as much as most people about a lot of these things. But one thing that I could, and, and like you, I don't have a great enthusiasm for thinking about deploying American troops to go and fight for the Ukrainians or something like that. I, that, that doesn't uh, appeal to me at all. I will say, though, that I in my early days when I was in Washington back in the Reagan years, that whole idea of peace through strength... Um, and of having a strong commander-in-chief that other nations didn't want to mess with is a really effective thing. And I will note that someone pointed out to me that um, the la- three of the last four presidents have, have, on their watch, seen Putin and the Russians invade neighboring territories, whether it was uh, Georgia or Crimea or now Ukraine. Only one of our last four presidents... Um, was feared so much by the Russians, apparently, that they didn't go and, and, and play around with some of their neighbors. I won't identify who that is, but um, many of my progressive friends probably ought to remember that when they want to disparage uh, certain leaders. Right, right. I'll say it. I mean, it was <laughs> Donald Trump who's the only president of the last four 
uh, that uh, Putin didn't directly challenge via uh, territorial rights. I agree. So we'll see. We'll, we're, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with NATO. I think there is a one more component to this. And I think the backdrop to all of this stuff in Ukraine, the, the backdrop to it is the disastrous pullout of, of Afghanistan. I think Americans are still... Uh, very upset about the way that was handled. I think the White House obviously was humiliated by the entire uh, process, uh, even though they've tried to um, wiggle their way out of it. And, you know, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes kind of thing with Afghanistan. And I think that plays a role uh, in terms of the potential bravado, for yep. lack of a better term, yep. on the part of the White House and the American people. The American people are, you know, believe in their military. They believe in the might uh, of of the country itself. And so I think that plays uh, a component. There's a component there to it as well. No question. All right, let's turn our um, sights to uh, Prime Minister uh, Trudeau of Canada <laughs> and his treatment of the truckers' uh, protest. Um, I think one word comes to mind, and that would be tyranny. We're seeing uh, bank accounts frozen. We're seeing punitive punishments for a free and open protest. It's one thing to say, for example, as Reagan did with the air traffic controllers back in the 80s, you're fired or you know, come back to work or you're fired. That's one thing. But when it comes to, uh, and so you, you know, he could have done that. There are a lot of different options he could have taken. Uh, but he ch- has chosen to be kind of punitive in his punishment uh, in Canada, uh, backed up by uh, elected officials in the parliament uh, in Canada. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, this whole truckers revolt has been fascinating to me, in part because of just some of the class uh, elements at work here. Because I always thought Marxism was about workers and kind of blue-collar people rising up against uh, the man, so to speak. But what is so interesting to me is now with cultural Marxism on the march, um, the Marxists are now all represented by the woke elites who are wanting to fight back the blue-collar interests of those who just want to be able to do their jobs without being hassled by the government. It's a really interesting cultural moment, and I think uh, revealing uh, in ways that go beyond just mask mandates and things like that. There's a there's a political undercurrent and cultural undercurrent to all of this that I think is really fascinating. It's in some ways um, consistent with the 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 disruption that Trump has uh, provided right. in this I country agree. to the, both politics generally, the Republican Party. Um, it's consistent with the whole Brexit sort of impulse right. that we've seen in other um, countries in in Europe where a lot of everyday common people are saying, we don't believe that the leaders are on our side, that they are interested in looking out for us. And um, and interestingly, it's the left that's on the side of the elites, not on the side of the working man. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, you know, 60 years ago, Neil Young uh, constantly <laughs> fought the man, and today he is the man, you know, and it's just amazing uh, how that has turned. I believe, you know, whether you like Donald Trump or not, uh, there's no doubt that he has turned uh, politics, um, the demographic makeup of the parties, 
um, the class makeup of the parties, he's turned that on its head, and we're seeing that spread not only across the country, because we're seeing it clearly happen in America, but we're seeing it spread across the world. And I think that's the important part of this, is that a lot of times the left wants to kind of look at Trump and see it as just this personality cult. Right. And there's no question that he does have a strong personal following. But many of these forces are forces that he simply tapped into that were already present, that have grown over time, and that extend well beyond our borders, and that are very much a reflection of um, blue-collar, ordinary people, a lot of middle-class folk feeling hey, we don't trust the elites the way we once did. We are no longer convinced they're working for us and interested in in helping us. And that, I think, is a really interesting cultural shift and um, definitely has significant political implications. You contrast Trudeau with what's happening over in the UK and what Boris Johnson has done. Uh, And what I think is interesting is that Boris Johnson is now telling uh, the citizens of Great Britain, that they're going to have to live with COVID. Uh, and so they're lifting all of the restrictions. Um, and, you know, you think about where the UK was with COVID and the lockdowns for so long, they're now beginning to lift those restrictions. Of course, you know, many people would argue it's political. We're seeing it happening in states across the country. Are they being driven by the science? Are they be dri- being driven by politics? Um, my cynical nature would say the latter, not the former. Uh, but I don't know enough about the UK. Uh, you know, I know Boris Johnson has had some issues politically uh, by you know partying, for example, at Number Ten Downing Street without masks while the rest of the country was in lockdown. But that is quite a contrast to uh, what we've seen previously. And now they're beginning to open up their country and say, "Look, COVID's here. It's going to be here. You got to live with it." Yeah, uh, like so many other things, the whole world seems now to be moving in the direction of Florida and coming to the same conclusions that our leaders came to early on in recognizing that lockdowns for, you know, as far as the eye can see are a bad idea and that we need to be promoting freedom and giving people an opportunity to make wise judgments about their own personal lives and how to navigate uh, difficult circumstances, in this case, uh, COVID. Um, and it's, yeah, it's interesting to me that here, yet again, the rest of the world is seeing the light that Florida has seen long ago. And speaking of Florida, <laughs> as we turn to the sp- sports world, there are a number of fascinating stories here where Florida is again leading the way. Uh, Austin Sendrick won the Daytona 500 at a photo finish with Bubba Wallace. Great, great theater Uh Great uh, sports theater, and it was incredibly popular this past weekend. Uh, you, we have um, we have no football now, unfortunately, for the next six months. And obviously, Major League Baseball is in a lockout. Um, but really, there's a really fascinating Florida story, Bill, that I want you to share with our listeners that most people have probably not heard of. And I will call them the Bo Jackson sisters. Um, uh, Whatever you think about the Olympics, and the ratings have been horrible, uh, whatever you think about China hosting the the Olympics, we can can talk about that uh, forever. There was an intriguing story where at the winter of Olympics, of all places, (laughs) Florida is leading again because of the Bo Jackson 
sisters. Tell our listeners about that, Bill. Yeah, no, this really is fascinating because who would have ever guessed that in the Winter Olympics, two girls from Ocala, of all places, uh, would be the stars and and really um, produce the best story. But yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Brittany Bowe and Erin Jackson each won medals at the event. That was significant in its own right, just because Ocala wouldn't normally be seen as a kind of hotbed of um, winter sports. But what's especially impressive about this story is that um, Bo had qualified for three different events um, at the Olympic trials. Um, and Jackson, who is the best sprinter. What kind of events? Tell, tell oh, These are speed skating events. Right, right. And uh, Jackson, who is the best sprinter in America, unfortunately had a glitch during the trials and failed to qualify in her best event. So uh, Bo, who was her friend, they've long trained together and known each other, uh, gave up her spot so that Jackson could compete. Jackson goes on to win the uh, gold. Bo, in her best event, uh, comes back to win the bronze. So they each come home medalist, and the story of one giving up her spot for the other is, I think, what makes the story uh, so rich and so powerful. And um, so, yeah, here, once again, Florida's out front in the middle of things, um, center stage, even if it's the Winter Olympics, of all things. Of all things. In the free state of Florida, (laughs) we had two Olympic medal winners from Ocala uh, in speed skating. Hard to believe. Yeah, it's great. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thanks to our listeners uh, for tuning in to another edition of Spill the Tea, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.